0: Welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 246. We'll be in the book of Colossians. matter of fact, we will start and finish the book of Colossians today. Uh, First, a little overview of uh, Colossians. Again, Paul is in prison writing this letter. Paul does a lot of work from prison, so we can see that regardless of what our circumstances are, we can still uh, work for the cause of uh, Christ. And so Paul is in prison. And he's heard about what's going on at the church in Colossae. Now, Paul hasn't been there. And so he's just heard things that have come in. And apparently there were teachings going on at that time uh, questioning the deity of Jesus. And uh, not only questioning, but uh, outright claiming that that Jesus wasn't God. And and so Paul hears this stuff, and so he writes to the Colossians um, addressing this particular issue. And so in his writings, we see that we find that... um, he is basically uh, uh, stating the cause for, for, for Jesus as God, his deity, his sufficiency, he, he, his uh, total sufficiency, nothing else besides Jesus is needed, and so he's coming against this teaching. And so that's why it's so important for us today, so that we're armed with the truth uh, with regard to our faith, so that we have substance in our faith in what we believe. And so Paul is very eloquently responding to these concerns that he has heard about. So, without further ado, let's get started. Let's drop down to verse nine. It says a prayer for spiritual growth. Prior to verse nine, Paul does the typical greetings and thanksgivings and that sort of thing, and then he gets into the meat of what he wants to communicate. And he says, "We haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord." fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. I I find that to be important uh, as far as our walk is concerned. Paul says you should be walking and bearing fruit in every good work. And as you're doing this, as you're progressing in life, as you're producing fruit, you're also growing in the knowledge of God. And so he's telling this to the Colossians, but he could be telling that to us today. It would be just as appropriate. And it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, fully uh, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. And so, again, we got to remember the context and the backdrop behind why he's writing this letter. And so, he's saying that they may be strengthened and powering in the power of God and his glorious might so that they may have great endurance and patience, see uh, joyfully giving thanks to the father who has enabled them to share in the saints inheritance in the light he has rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of the son he loves again he stayed in the, jesus's case he stayed in the cause for jesus in him we have redemption the forgiveness of sins So Paul is laying the foundation for the people, or I should say probably relaying the foundation in order that they can combat uh, the the, the teaching that has come into the church. The centrality of Christ, and now he really gets into it. He really gets into how Christ is at the center of all of this. He says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions uh, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. See, again, so Paul is nailing this thing in the coffin. He's saying, look, this stuff that's been coming in that that Jesus isn't a deity, he's not God. No, 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 this is wrong. This is what the deal is. See, he is the image of the invisible God. In verse 17, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning from the first, uh, firstborn from the dead, so that he might come so, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself. Uh, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased to have his entire fullness dwell in Jesus. You want to know what God is, look, is like? Look at Jesus. He is, he is the image of the invisible God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself. In other words, through Jesus... All of us can get reconciled back to God and only through Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross through his blood shed on the cross. We make peace back to God. We're reconciled back to God. And that's the only way we get reconciled back to him. In verse 21, Paul says once you were alienated, uh, once you were alienated And hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled uh, you by his physical body through his death death, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Through his death, through his physical body, through his death, we can be presented to God holy and faultless, but only through the blood of Jesus. (sighs) If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the hope and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. He said you can remain faultless and blameless before God through the blood of Jesus as long as you remain grounded and steadfast in what you were taught in the faith. And you're not shifted by winds of uh, doctrine. You're not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Then Paul says in verse 25, he says, I have become its servant. He's referring to the church now to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. What mystery is that? which is Christ in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. The mystery being, which is just now being revealed at that time, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Through the blood of Jesus, we identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus and we become a part of his body. In other words, Christ in us, the hope of glory. When Jesus died, descended, and then uh, was resurrected, and then uh, ascended into heaven, at that time, or prior to that time, there was just one Jesus uh, 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 that the enemy had to contend with, that the world had to contend with. But through the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, now there are multiple Jesuses that the world has to contend with. And that is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Through us comes the gospel. Through us comes the word of God. That is the hope for the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory is the mystery. Chapter 2. Let's go on to verse two. He says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We we need to look no further than Christ to see the image of God, which embodies all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything. 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 You don't need to look anywhere else. No other resources, no, you know, no other sources, no other places. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, Paul is nailing this foundation down because he, he's got to fight this heresy that's coming to the church. And it says, Christ versus the Colossian heresy. In verse 4, he says, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. You see, you out and out lies, out and out obvious lies, they're they're, they're easy to point out. They're easy. It it becomes easy to ignore them. But when things start to sound reasonable, when non-truths start to sound like truths. When non-truths start to sound reasonable, such that we start entertaining them, that's when they're dangerous. Verse six, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, so that as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Let's read that again. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition or human knowledge, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Man, we need to pace this up in, in, in our bedrooms, in our living rooms, everywhere we go. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human traditions and based on elements of the world rather than Christ. See, when you start to take elements of the world, the world's wisdom, man's wisdom and whatnot, and you start to have that supersede the word of God, you're in trouble You're in big trouble. You have to be very careful because these things will tickle your ear. They will make you feel good. They will seem desirable. They may make the word of God seem to be outdated, outmolded, not relevant. Be careful. It says in verse nine, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature is in Christ. So if you start to take things uh, of the world over Christ, then you are taking things of, of the world over the entire fullness of God's nature. It says in verse 10, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. It says you were also circumcised in, in him with the circumcision not done with hands uh, by put, uh, pulling off. With, uh, excuse me, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And so you were circumcised, not, not in, in man's way in the flesh, but you were circumcised into Christ. And then it says, when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. That's how you were circumcised. see, Through the death and then the raising of Jesus. Through, through, through uh, the acknowledgement and the... Um, in the joining, if you will, of Jesus in His death and His raising, and in His power. Verse fourteen, He erased the certificate of death that, uh, with its obligations, that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it uh, away by nailing it to the cross. See, so he, he erased our debt when He was nailed to the cross. Uh, The debt that we owed, which was our life, we we were basically owed death, you know, because of our sin. Jesus took that uh, verdict and nailed it to the cross. It says in verse 15, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. uh, let's Let's see. He triumphed over them in Him. Yeah, he triumphed over them in anyway, him. I had to read that a couple of times. So, it's, it's, so it says um, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. It's unclear exactly which rulers and authorities that are being talked about here. It Could be talking about demonic forces. It could be talking about the Roman authorities. It could be talking about both. I don't know. So, it's not clear with regard to what's happening here. But when Jesus was nailed to the cross, died, and then was resurrected. Uh, he disgraced uh, those forces publicly. His resurrection was to their disgrace. See? So he triumphed over them in him by his resurrection. And it says in uh, verse 16, therefore. Don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or new moon or Sabbath day. So what he's saying is, don't let anyone, he's talking uh, specifically relative to the Jewish Christians uh, who uh, wanted to still lean on the dietary laws and, and other things from the Old Testament. He says, don't let anyone judge you in regard to what you eat or drink or whatever, because they're adhering to the law and therefore the law will judge them. You know, and so they're not—they're not fully embracing the sufficiency of Christ when they do that. He so said, "Don't let anybody judge you by that." It says, "These are a shadow of what was to come," and so those things—the uh, uh, law was the forerunner to Jesus. See, Jesus came abolished the law because life is in Him. But anyway, it says, "These are the shadow of what was to come," or yeah, what was to come. The substance is Christ. And then he says in verse eighteen. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by their empty notions of their unspiritual mind. So first of all, it says, let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices. What is an ascetic practice? The definition of ascetic is the practice of a severe self-discipline, abstention from an abstention from all forms of indulgence. In other words, it is a, an appearance of a holiness and righteousness, and, but it's done for the purpose of man to see. And so he says, let no one condemn you by delighting in these practices of self-denial, by delighting in these practices of harsh self-discipline and whatnot. And so, Because it can look very, very, very spiritual from the outside. And Paul is saying, you know, let no one condemn you by delighting in these things. Because people can flaunt, flaunt these things. They can flaunt their perceived righteousness. And so Paul is saying, don't let anybody condemn you with that stuff. <clears throat> because it's empty. And it's inflated by an unspiritual mind. It says in verse 20, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world why do you live as as if you still belong to the world? And that's a good question. Paul is saying, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? He says, and see, he names some. He says, why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. (laughs) So he's saying, why do you submit to these laws? Jesus came to abolish the law. Why do you adhere to the worlds? and he's talking about the law here, basically he's talking inside the church. He's saying, you know why do you submit to these regulations? He says all these regulations refer to uh, refer to what uh, is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. see and so he's saying <clears throat> essentially one gets involved in people pleasing when you try to adhere to a set of rules, regulations, laws, and so on and so forth. And then he says in verse 23, although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self indulgence. And so these, these, these laws can appear as though that they are wise. They can appear as though that they are spiritual. They they can appear as though they are humble. You know, people who subscribe to this, the the discipline and and, and severe treatment of their bodies can appear as though it's divinely inspired. But Paul says they're not of any value because they don't curb self-indulgence. They don't have any saving power, if you will. Let's go into chapter three. It says the life of the new man in verse one. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if you have been raised to Christ, what Paul is saying, don't think, uh, seek the things of this world, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And, and you uh, once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. Wow. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. We're created in the image of God. We are being renewed in the knowledge according to that image. It says in verse 11, In Christ there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. The Christian life, it says in verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, great uh, gentleness, and patience. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We should meditate on that. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, and all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Christ in your home kind of repeat some things that we said was yesterday or the day before. I can't remember uh, in Ephesians. It says in verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be better. Don't be bitter uh, towards them. (laughs) Husbands, don't be bitter towards your life. You know, it's amazing to me when we look at the marriage relationship, uh, sometimes, you know, women uh, they chase a man, chase a man, chase a man, want a man, want to love a man, want a man to love them, all this. They get a man, get that man, and then they start to tear him down. Men, they see a beautiful woman, they chase her, chase her, chase her, chase her. You know, they get her, you know, marry her, and then start to disrespect her. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's, it's like we can't handle what we want. Husbands, love your your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become uh, discouraged. It says, employees, I'm using the term employees. Employees, obey your employers in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers do, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done uh, for the Lord and not for people. Work as unto the Lord when you're on the job. Work as if you're working for the Lord. Essentially, this is what Paul is saying. It says, knowing that you will receive a reward of inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. He says, work as, as if you're working for the Lord because you know you're going to receive an inheritance. You see, the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You know you're going to receive it. So work as if you're working for him because you are, really. You know, it doesn't matter whether your boss is, a, is an imbecile or you don't respect him or whatever. Work as if unto the Lord. You know, work as an act of worship unto God. And in chapter four, it says, uh, Masters or employers, deal with your employees justly and fairly since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Since you know that you have a boss in heaven, okay, you be a good boss to your employees and and act righteously and justly and fairly towards them. Speaking to God and others in verse two, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. (laughs) I like that. Devote yourselves to prayer. And stay alert in it with Thanksgiving. Many times, you know, a lot of people go to pray. They may be a little tired, or maybe they're not tired. But they start praying, and they start dozing. And so Paul is saying, devote yourselves to prayer. And when in prayer, stay alert, you know, and give Thanksgiving. Don't just be asking for stuff. Don't just request stuff. Don't use, you know, God as kind of your personal, you know, genie in the bottle. I want this. I need that. And he said, give Thanksgiving, you know. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door uh, to us for the world, yeah, for the word, excuse me, and speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And so Paul is essentially saying also pray for kingdom advancement, you know. And so as we're praying, we're praying Thanksgiving, also pray that the word of God goes forth and that it lands on receptive ears. So pray for that word to go forward. And then he says, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time, you know, redeeming the time. Don't procrastinate. Don't waste time. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know uh, how you should answer each person. So Paul is saying, let your speech, when you're talking to people, be gracious in your speech. Make sure that you edify the Lord, you know, seasoned with salt. Don't don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't throw the Lord in people's faces or anything like that. But don't be ashamed of the Lord when you're talking to people. That's what, what seasoned with salt means, is that you're still filled with the word. You're still filled with the mission so that you may know how you should answer these persons. So when people have sincere questions, you can answer them directly and not just give them some kind of church-speaky answer. you know. But you can answer them. right. You can, you can intelligently answer their questions. You can sincerely answer their questions. You can be you can answer their questions motivated by love because you want to see them uh, come into their destiny. You want to see them, you know, uh drawn into the kingdom. You want to see them acknowledge who Jesus is. So let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with the truth, so that you may know how you should answer anybody who asks you questions about things of the Lord, things of Jesus, things of God the Father, things of the Bible, anything. And with that, we are finished with the book of Colossians. As we can see, Paul was laying some uh, foundational stuff and giving some uh, practical suggestions with regard to how the Colossians should go about their daily lives in dealing with the issues um, uh, that were going to arise uh, in their territories. If you confess with your heart, confess with, why do I keep saying that? If you confess with your mouth and if you sincerely believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, he descended for three days, he rose on the third day. He walked the face of the earth for about 40 days. Then he ascended into heaven and he is now seated at the right hand of the father God. If you acknowledge that and believe that the word says that you will be saved and that you will not be put to shame, that your belief will not be in vain. That's an awesome invitation. I would suggest that you take him up on it. Everybody, have a great day. Stay blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, regardless of what circumstances may arise. And should he grace us with another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye now.